Hello, listeners of the Biolines Network podcast. Coming to you from... For once, an episode not about a by-election. Although I've seen news headlines, so expect one soon. I'm Julian in Bristol. And me, Chris, in London. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the bigger news uh, in the UK. The UK cabinet reshuffle. And all of the surprises um, that entails. So first, we're going to tell you who's gone, uh, who's coming in, and then we're going to talk to you about, obviously, the two main big headlines. So, Chris, do you uh, want to start off with who's staying and who's going? Well, this um, this was a, a major cabinet reshuffle, as, as I'm sure it hasn't escaped many people. Um, and there were quite a few high-profile casualties. Um the first of whom, and was who was the first actually to go, was Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary. And I'm sure there were a lot of wine bottles being opened to that news, albeit she was sacked, I think, about seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I, um, I was kind of surprised not to see the red arrows just flying by. <laughs> well, it, it kind of didn't come as too much of a surprise, considering her antics of recent weeks, just to... Name a few, the comments on homelessness being a lifestyle choice. And uh, she wrote in the Telegraph uh, about the police and basically criticising how they operate towards protesters, um, which drew criticism because the police are obviously operationally independent from the government. They are not a private police force, private security force for ministers to do the whim of elected ministers. They are held account to account by ministers, but ministers do not in dictate what they do and who they police. Um, and Suella Braverman essentially said that the police are being too relaxed on pro-Palestinian, pro-ceasefire protesters when they were organizing to march on Armistice Day. You can take this as one of two one of two ways. You can take it as this was a home secretary who was causing way too much trouble for a prime minister whose polls are already through the floor. Um, you can take that as he sacked her to kind of try and restore some semblance of collective responsibility, which, I mean, didn't seem like Suella Braverman actually believed in that concept at all. Um, or you can see this as a move to shift the party a bit more to the centre, which, considering we're probably less than 12 months out from a general election might be seen by some as the most likely reason for her being removed but the briefings which have been coming out of Downing Street and they make them into they make their way into the papers apparently she was due to be sacked way before Armistice Day so in the the reshuffle happened on the 13th of November Armistice Day was the 11th which was a Saturday and remember it Sunday was obviously the 12th so arrangements for her replacement and the manoeuvrings after that were being made well before she wrote that article in the Telegraph. So this was, this was. It seems like this was a long time coming, even if it was two, three weeks. Um, she was not safe for a while, and it's it's not unexpected. Um, oh, oh no! I strongly suspect that she knew she was on the way out, and so she was just making like these. Uh, let's be fair and call them comments. 
So I get the feeling she was making these comments for the same reason why um, Boris Johnson made um, comments during the 2016 referendum. She wanted to get the quote-unquote right people, in every sense of the word, actually, um, on on her side and just show that they're one of she's one of them. And I guess it worked. But um, yeah, so Suella Braverman is gone. As Home Secretary, interesting history. I mean, let's not let's. I mean, we we talked about the how much trouble she caused for the Prime Minister, but it's it's not. It, this is not recent history. This isn't new behaviour. I mean, we have to remember she was in government before. Um, she was moved to the Home Office by Liz Truss. I think she was Attorney General under Boris Johnson, and then moved to the Home Office by Liz Truss. Yes, she was. She certainly occupied Attorney General. I believe she was sacked as Attorney General at some point and then was moved to the Home Secretary job by this trust. And one of the few things this trust actually managed to do during her tenure, short as it was, was fire was fire her. And then as soon as um the billionaire became Prime Minister, he reinstated her. And I mean she wasn't fired for a minor for a minor thing. It was she was sacked because she leaked confidential documents to a, a, a backbench MP, that's, I mean, that's not signif- that's not insignificant. It's, and, and, and yet she was brought back. So, I mean, you can argue how long she had left. And the resignation letter that she wrote was quite something. And it, it kind of explains why she was in the job for so long and why there weren't really any repercussions for behaviour. So the resignation letter was quite something to read and i'm a nerd so i read it in full why would you do that to yourself chris i thought thought we're meant to encourage other people to live happy lives i know but something about reading her resignation letter did make me giggle and made me happy because it kind of confirmed that she's gone um but the 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 resignation letter was scathing and it was very critical of rishi sunak and it was also very revealing in that she wrote about basically how she came to a deal with him to to sort of get him into the position to be Conservative Party leader and Prime Minister if he agreed to certain things. And I'm assuming one of those was Home Secretary, but she conveniently left that out of the letter. So she apparently made a deal with Rishi Sunak to implement the following things. So reduce overall migration. Yeah, that's not surprising her from her include specific clauses in new legislation to basically overrule the European Convention on Human Rights, the Human Rights Act, and and any other relevant international law that would prohibit the UK from, I think, reducing migration numbers or implementing the Rwanda policy. So she wanted to just completely disbar protections that we have as a country that have been in place for decades, which we helped to write in order to bring down immigration numbers. And that's dangerous in itself, but that was something she agreed with the Prime Minister. The other thing she agreed was to deliver the Northern Ireland Protocol and retained EU law bill in their existing form. And that was from when they were sort of put together under Boris Johnson. That obviously didn't happen. Um, And the final sort of letter written in 
blood that was signed with this deal was um, to issue statutory guidance to schools that protects biological sex, safeguards single sex spaces and empowers parents to know what their children are being taught. But that last point is is very is is dog whistle for inclusive sex education or sex and relationships education, which a lot, obviously a lot of conservative MPs don't like. They they want to hark back to the days of Section 28, where a man and a woman have a relationship and have babies. And that's the only relationship that is acceptable and should exist. Just, just the conservatives? Um, no, there are there are other there are other, are other parties and other MPs in other parties who who are of that view as well, um, to be for, for posterity and for clarity. But this was something that that she specifically said she wanted to see in policy in order to make him prime minister. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes since she's not there anymore. I mean, but... I mean quite frankly, it would not surprise me if they still pursued that because Kemi Balanok is still is still there. Yeah, she's still in the cabinet. Yeah. So yeah, she she's I get the feeling she's gonna be the one to carry on that because I, if I remember correctly, she had like a, a campaign a while ago. And had a campaign bus uh, with two toilets, and she literally wrote men, women on a bit of paper and stuck them on with sticky tape. Yes, she did. It was a cheap stunt, um, as we're used to seeing from conservative MPs and ministers. Um, But the, the interesting thing is, and you kind of alluded to this, is people thought her sacking would ignite some sort of civil war or confidence vote with letters being sent in to the 1922 committee. That doesn't seem to have happened too much. That's kind of. I've, I've heard stories and I've heard rumours that there are at least 13 letters. Please, listeners, take this with a grain of salt. Um, this was said by a backbencher, uh, by a backbencher in Parliament. So I assume there are at least a couple of no no confidence votes in there, which doesn't surprise me because um, since the since Jacob Rees-Mogg has gone back to being a backbencher, uh, Suella Braverman was kind of flying the extreme right of the Conservative Party flag uh, for a good long while. So it would not surprise me that her leaving would upset a few people. Hmm. Um, however, everyone instantly stopped caring about her <laughs> after a few hours uh, in a move that I'm not entirely unsure was done on purpose to make sure that people stop focusing on Suella Braverman. We had a blast from the past. We did. And I had the news on, um, as I usually do while I'm working. Um, and it was, <laughs> it was hilarious to see the reaction of, the political commentators who were commenting live on the on the footage they were they were seeing, because who stepped out of the car? I saw, I saw like um, Sky News have a clip of saying, "Oh that, look, the car is coming up. Who's who? Who's in the car? Oh good lord, it's David Cameron." <laughs> that was the that was the that I was watching Sky News, and that was the that was what I heard, and my jaw dropped to the floor, um. Yes, David Cameron has returned. Um, like to, a bad he, smell. Like a bad smell, yeah. And he is now Foreign Secretary. Um, he's replaced James Cleverly, who has replaced Suella Braverman at the Home Office. So this yeah. was a chain of events. And it's what I mentioned earlier, which is 
you can't just get David Cameron back into government to be a foreign office minister in a few hours. This wasn't a phone call to say, hello, do you have time to pop in to, or do you want to become foreign secretary? This was, this must have hello, been. Hello, David. In... I have a surprise for you waiting at your former residence. Yeah. Like this must have been planned for a while. And credit to, well, I don't really like giving credit to number 10 Downing Street, but this was not, this was a genuine surprise to people. Usually there's some inkling of who's going to be sacked and who's going to be promoted, but this was nowhere. Nobody expected this. Um, and there is some controversy about his appointment, as I'm sure you'll be aware. Yes. Uh, um, he Because David Cameron resigned from his seat in 2016 for reasons, he is no longer an MP and therefore cannot be made a member of the cabinet unless he is made a member of the House of Lords. Okay, so I'm I'm all in favor of a reformed House of Lords. Oh, I'm I I want them gone. But okay, we may disagree here for the first time, which is actually quite something. I think the House of Lords plays quite an important function because, and it's in and I don't think a lot of people think about it this way. And it's fair that they don't because there are problems with the House of Lords. That there's it's undoubt it's it there's there's no doubt there's issues with it. But people in the House of Lords are placed there quite a lot of them are in there because of their knowledge on a particular subject or a area or their experience in something so explain andrew lloyd webber then the guy writes theater plays what the hell does he know about legislation he only ever turns up in the house of lords to vote down tax bills that's a good point but there are good there are people in the house of lords who actually do scrutiny well People like Jenny Jones, people like Doreen Lawrence. There are plenty of people in the House of Lords who are there because of their knowledge on certain things. And that includes on foreign affairs. So, and we also forget that the House of Lords will not forget. But if if you've ever seen proceedings in the House of Lords, not that many people would. Cause the reason being is it's not exciting. There is no not really any political theatre in there, which is what David Cameron was known for, you know, my mother would say do up your tie and sing the national anthem is is one particular thing that comes to mind he did political theater in prime minister's questions very well he spun how he spun what he said he knew how to play to the gallery the house of lords is very different they don't go for that kind of thing so i would be interested to see how he actually fares in there because there won't be the cheering, there won't be the cheering, there won't be the the quips back to people. Because as M- as great as MPs are, and that they're, they're directly elected, not all of them are experts on everything. The House of Lords and members of the House of Lords, it's arguable that a lot of them have more knowledge on certain things than, than elected members of Parliament do. So the scrutiny may well be even more comprehensive than it would be in the House of Commons, but we'll have to wait and see. Yes. I feel like this is a different debate for a different time. Yes. <laughs> um, needless to say, uh, I see I see the benefits of another house of another house to scrutinise laws. I don't think it should be the House of Lords, particularly since every single Prime Minister seems to pack the House of Lords with their friends. I mean, yeah. How many uh how many people who won PPE contracts 
or who or who just happen to know Boris Johnson with with sketchy ties are lords now. And I agree with you on that point. That's a, that's a... anyway. I'm I'm shutting this down. We're not talking about this. We're talking about the cabinet reshuffle. So David yes. Cameron overnight became Lord Cameron just oh. so he could serve as Foreign Secretary. And I will give Rishi Sunak this: if there is ever a Prime Minister that people actually have fonder memories of compared to him, it's probably David Cameron. I, I wouldn't agree with that. And the one the one thing I would say that was that kind of shone out for me was there was a snap poll but done by YouGov after his appointment as foreign secretary. And that showed that more people think his appointment was a bad decision than a good one. I think this it, I mean, and it was a very varied poll Like 24 percent thought it was a good idea. 38 percent thought it was bad. And then another 38 percent said they don't know. But that's still more people who think it's bad <laughs> or are not actually sure about it because it's such a random decision and it isn't without precedent that you know you appoint a you appoint someone as a lord immediately to get them as foreign secretary or a minister in government that happened in i think it was the falklands war i think margaret thatcher did it in the falklands war with um baron carrington yes uh, she did it in the Falklands War with with him, so it's not an unheard of thing to happen. And, but... and it's the same with like bringing back a former prime minister into the cabinet. I think the last time, I think if I remember correctly, the last time that happened, and I do apologise to any of my colleagues who are listening uh, when I told them this, I got it wrong. The last time this happened was in the nineteen seventies, uh, when we had one guy as prime minister then a different guy as Prime Minister, and then the same first guy as Prime Minister, he brought the guy in between his terms into the cabinet. Um, if I'm not and the wrong. last time before that, if we're not counting, if we're not counting the war cabinet of the Second World War, was literally 1900. <laughs> if I'm not wrong, and I may well be wrong, but I, I think Prime Ministers were, who people who were Prime Ministers were lords they used to be lords it wasn't uncommon to have a a, a prime minister be a lord i could be oh, wrong it's, it's it wasn't uncommon to have a former prime minister to be a lord it's uncommon to then appoint them as a member of the cabinets like if we are going on past history here this has only happened three times in the last 100 years again twice if we're not counting the war cabinets because let's face it that was extraneous circumstances so technically we shouldn't really count that but yeah it i honestly think that part of the reason why he appointed lord cameron i now have to refer to him as is lord so Cam that it would take attention away from suella braverman because by the looks of things it kind of worked I saw a quote from Jacob Rees-Mogg himself saying, I don't like the fact that Braverman was gone. However, I applaud, well, applaud might be a strong word. He re Basically, he really liked Cameron coming back because even though they disagreed about like the importance of Europe, he still allowed them to vote on it. But he is, he is now Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? 
Maybe, I made a joke maybe about we've that. been too harsh on absolute monarchy. Can we bring that back? <laughs> I did make a joke about that to my partner when when it when it came out that he was appointed as a lord. I said, Oh, what's he gonna be? Lord Cameron or Chipping Norton? And <laughs> yeah, that's what he got. So um You know what, Chris? Based on that, who's gonna win the next general election? Let us know. <laughs> That's still on. Uh, that's still on. On pause for now. <laughs> I haven't made a decision yet. I know who I would like to win, but but in also in back to Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there have there has been some other controversy arising from him in recent years, and it's not just because he's now holding one of the great offices of state, but is sitting as a lord, not a member of parliament. I'm sure most listeners will may be aware of his work for Greensill Capital um, after leaving as Prime Minister after the Brexit referendum. It came out that he had lobbied Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor during COVID. And it was all quite complicated about what he was actually lobbying for, but it was essentially so that the company Greensill Capital, I think, could provide loans to businesses or something along those lines. Either way, there were some issues around that. No rules were found to be broken. It's important to say that. But there were certainly enough suspicion of wrongdoing or impropriety to investigate it thoroughly. And it does it does raise questions about what Rishi Sunak said when he became prime minister in that he wants to he wanted to restore integrity, professionalism and accountability to government when in fact it's very difficult to see how he's done that appointing someone who is so problematic. And there are, it's not just Greensill Capital. There are other, other instances which have been brought up in the comments quite recently about him lobbying for a port to be built in Sri Lanka, but that was with some money that was not quite well sourced. I'm, I'm not across all of the details, so it wouldn't be appropriate to go into it a bit anymore. But there are other things coming to light. And I'm sure the committee who deals with this kind of thing, I think they're called HOLAC, would find some things if they were problematic. But again, it is there are some issues here. But we'll see what happens with those over the coming months. Yes. And now on to the other major reshuffle, uh, I think. You mentioned the Great Office of State. Speaking of which, we now have a different Home Secretary. James Cleverley uh, made made way to be appointed as the new Home Secretary. Um, and to be completely fair to him, by the sounds of it, um, he's doing day one. He already did a much better job than Suella Braverman. <laughs> um, I can't remember the direct quote, but apparently he already told the Home Office that um, I will I will back you. I might criticize you in private, but I will never criticize you in public. And already he's doing a much better job than the previous Home Secretary. And that's saying something considering his intray was quite difficult for the, <laughs> I think, oh, was it the same day? It might well have been. Um, it was the same week anyway that the, the, the Supreme Court found that the government's Rwanda policy was unlawful. I think that was the following week, but yes. But don't worry, Rishi Sunak's going to pass the law and that'll make it all better. He's going to pass a law saying Rwanda is safe and then it'll all be fine. Obviously. That's what to do. Which, 
it is nuts. Um, but yeah, he's 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 got a fairly hefty in tray. And bearing in mind he went from foreign secretary to home secretary, that would be seen by many as a demotion. Um it, it, like I was saying it's often seen as a demotion, but I think having somebody who at least is seen as competent in the job is a benefit. And well, that's, I think that's part of the reason why I think David Cameron was such a not a good appointment, but definitely an interesting appointment. Because say what you will about David Cameron and his tenure as prime minister, I still think of him as like a competent politician. <laughs> And that's, I think, what the country has been missing for a long time. And I think we have to admit, since Brexit, just politics in the UK has been a mess. And I mean, the, the continued sort of narrative of David Cameron coming back is, oh, someone experienced. <laughs> Who knows what they're doing? But it, it just, to me, it signals sort of the dying throes of a government who are about to lose the next election and be obliterated. I mean, and... let me put it this way. The number of MPs the Conservatives have is still close to 350. You seriously couldn't have found anyone in the 200 and th- in like the 330 people that are left once you take out all the cabinet to replace them. <laughs> like an actual elected official from that vast swathe of people. No, you have to go for the guy who resigned after he lost a referendum. But that's it. And I mean, that's one that's one argument. And that's the attack line from the Labour Party. The other side of it, and playing devil's advocate, is at a time of great global uncertainty, you know, you have a war in Europe, you have conflict in the Middle East, quite, which is is doesn't seem like it's going to be resolved soon. Do you really want to be appointing somebody like completely brand new? And it, I mean, maybe you're right. He could have found someone other than James Cleverly, a senior member of the Conservative Party, to do that job. But if there are less than 12 months of the general election, what's the point in installing a completely brand new foreign secretary who doesn't really know what they're doing? Why not install a former prime minister who knows these things, who has relationships with foreign leaders, quite good ones, actually, compared to prime ministers of recent history it it could it it could be seen as a smart move um even oh, if no, it's a, it, it's, it's a smart move it's just not like a move that i necessarily like no and it could be it could be a move which we're not used to seeing and, and it's a good move because it's trying it's a prime minister trying to be competent and actually have a department that functions properly with a minister who does good things Let's not forget that David Cameron's government, along with the Lib Dems and Coalition and afterwards, did some horrible things. But if you're looking solely at foreign policy and the actions of the Foreign Office, installing David Cameron as Foreign Secretary may not entirely be a bad idea. He may stay in the post for 12 months until the next election. If he, he, He'll probably keep his peerage afterwards. Um, probably. I mean, I don't the know. lifetime peerage. Well, that's answered my question. Um, well, uh, I think that about sums up everything we wanted to say, apart from some of the more ridiculous appointments. So, thank you very much, listeners of the Biolines Network podcast. That was our thoughts on the cabinet reshuffle uh, with me, June Greenbank from Bristol, 
and me, Chris, in London. Join us next month where we plan to release a whole episode about how Brexit has affected the youth. See you then.